Just one of those days, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 2, 5, and 10, episode 16. Uh, welcome. Cam's in the background giving me some harassment right now. But uh, Ben Stu, give give everybody a shout. Give them what they came for. What's going on? He's giving you a little bit of a chirping action behind you, I guess, huh? Oh, dude, that just completely rattled me. I was not expecting it at all. And he's <laughs> he's here blowing in the recorder beside me. But, well, um, <laughs> it, fits, it fits since it's uh, episode 16 because it's a Sean Avery episode. Oh, dude, right on cue. I didn't even think about it. But, oh, uh, yeah, he's just looking at me. You want to drop the gloves, Cam? Let's go. But um, I, I guess that intro music kind of hit, I guess, the first topic. One of the biggest things, probably what everybody uh, saw over the weekend. Uh, Nate McKinnon and the coach Bender again into it a little bit on the bench. What did you think about that? I think the funniest thing was how... The captain Lagascon tried to cool McKinnon down and ended up pulling his ass off the bench and had to like prop him back up. <laughs> well, yeah, I thought that was funny. He he was just so heated that he fell backwards as he was arguing with the coach. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean Colorado's been sliding lately, so I'm, I can assume there's frustration on both sides with the coach and McKinnon, uh, and especially with McKinnon because he basically carried them to the playoffs last year and then this year again him. And uh, his line mates are carrying the avalanche offensively. They have pretty poor secondary scoring, which is apparently why they're coming after Zuccarello a little bit. Uh, so I can see McKenna being frustrated. But getting that heated on a bench and then telling your coach to do your job is not a good look. I mean, w- with that being said, though, y- you ever get into it with the coach? Like, I never really got into it too much. You know, like, I- I've kind of pled my case a little bit. But but I've never told a coach to do his job. I, I think that's a little uh a little much. But but at the same time, do you feel good at least watching it? Because it's like he's mad they're losing. It's not like he, he came out and it's like, you know, they're winning and he's telling the coach fuck off. Like legitimately mad. Kachuk just scored the empty netter. He's a little pissed off. Like, I get it, but yeah, I don't know how to lean, like whether you're the coach, whether you're the GM. Yeah, I uh, I've never ever thought about talking telling my head coach when I was in associate in high school to uh, do his job because he'd probably bury me beneath the rink uh but behind closed doors yeah there's a little bit of back and forth there I yeah him reacting that strongly because they're kind of sliding a little bit and they lost they were going to end up losing that game against Calgary is a good sign I don't think it's that big of a deal in this grand scheme of things so if I'm going to coach and the GM, I just have a closed-door meeting with them, kind of clear the air and move on. It's like one of those heat and things. I don't think McKinnon's actually sitting there, lost respect for his coach and wants him gone or anything like that. No, and I mean, I also understand the frustration, too. Like like you said, there's no secondary score, and they kind of broke up that first line when they were getting all those points and kind of hopes of shedding it around. So maybe that's why that... um the frustrations coming out maybe it's not coming as easy as it once was but i get it yeah yeah the interesting thing is they said they buried the hatchet i guess and moved past it i think it would have been if i was the coach 
just to like lighten up the mood a little bit, the next Avalanche game, if McKinnon missed a shot or something or missed his man on a back check when he got back, I'd tell him to do his job. Yeah, I mean, it was cool, too, in the sense of like seeing the other blowback from around the league. Like, I guess Babcock was asked about it, and he said, like, two guys being passionate, the coach and the player, like, these things are definitely going to happen. And he seemed okay with it. But at the same time, Babcock's kind of, like, cynical, a little maniacal. Like, I think if, you know, Matthews came off to him to do his job, they'd have it. Like, whether it's on the bench, in the locker room, like, there would be, like, you think you'd probably just tell him to sit down. And then through that, I mean, then Dubis gets involved. Like, I feel like there's different coaches, there's different parts of it. Maybe it's because Bedner only in his second year, you know, there maybe there's a little bit more comfort level, I guess. But yeah, I mean, you think one of these top name coaches, they have one of those on the bench. What do you think happens? Uh, Tortorella. <laughs> you, you think I'm actually surprised that uh, Torts hasn't like bent over with any guys and like gone for like the rear naked choke on the bench. <laughs> like, I think that would be a good well, one to see. The, when he was the coach of the Rangers, they're playing the Islanders at the Coliseum, and he basically tried to attack a fan with a hockey stick behind the glass. So there was that. Um, yeah, I mean, Tortorella's gotten into it a little bit in his time in Columbus with uh, Johansson and Jack Johnson, and both of them were shipped right to hell out. You're not going to trade McKinnon, obviously, but yeah, I think there is a comfort level. I think that shows it's there's a res- kind of like a mutual respect because McKinnon knows he can basically be as honest as possible to the coach without fear of being silenced, then the coach has made that environment possible. It's just the wrong setting, I think, but I don't think that leads to any deterioration of the relationship. Well, he did come out, I believe it was Sunday. I think it was yesterday or Saturday night. Uh, They were playing Montreal, and somebody asked him about the whole situation, and he came forward and said, you know, that's on me. I have to be better there. I was just kind of voicing my frustration a little bit. So, I mean, hats off to him on that end for, I guess, taking it off the coach. Because in a sense, the coach is doing his job, telling you, you know, what you did wrong or whatever it is. So, yeah. But, I mean, good for him to at least be a professional about it and say, you know, that's on me. I got to act better. Especially with him, like you said, he's a young kid. So for him to at least realize something was in the wrong and to take a good step forward, that's good too. Agreed. And the other, I guess the other big news out of this week, which was kind of anticipated ever since the summer, but Rick Nash formally announced his retirement from the NHL uh, due to lingering issues from the latest concussion he suffered when he was with the Bruins after the trade deadline. Uh, my question to you is, do you have a Nash memory? And do you think he is a Hall of Famer? Not necessarily a first ballot, but do you think he's a Hall of Famer eventually? Uh, my favorite Rick Nash memory has to be that goal he scored in Columbus against Phoenix where he, like, toe drags both defensemen, zips in, zips out, and then buries it. As for Hall of Fame, I don't know. Like, he has really good numbers. I just, he's one of those guys that's, like, on the line for me as to, like, if you let him in, you're going to have to then open the door for other people. But I feel like the Hockey Hall of Fame with some of the people they've let in also is kind of... I don't want to say lackluster, but I feel a little lackluster in that department, like where they mm-hmm. kind of start running low on people and then they'll put people in. But um, no, man, I mean, Rick Nash was a great player. I don't really have any good memories of him here, which suck because he was here so short. And I'm pretty sure, too, that if he was actually healthy, he would have re-signed here and we could have had him this year. And I think that that kind of 
hurts our secondary goal scoring a little bit, and maybe that's what Don Sweeney was banking on, kind of having him back, and then it didn't happen, and it kind of bit us in the ass a little bit. But um, you had him a lot longer than we did. What, what are your yeah. thoughts on Rick Nash and feelings? And I mean, made plenty of money from you guys. Feelings. Um, yeah, he played six uh, six and a half years with the Rangers, which shockingly a long time uh, thinking about it now uh, he was brought to New York Gabrick was still on a team and we were trying to compete with the likes of Washington and Pittsburgh who had multiple superstars up front so the goal was to pair him and Gabrick together and kind of create that same semblance of offensive firepower for the Rangers with Hank and Gold during his prime didn't necessarily work out because uh, his first year was that strike shortened year uh, in New York and after that Gabrick was moved uh, to LA because he had a falling out with Tortorello so then Nash just like he was in Columbus kind of bore the uh, the brunt of being the offensive uh, icon for the team face of the franchise in that sense he was good he was not a bad player at that point I don't think he was ever he scored 42 goals for us in 2014 uh, 2015 uh, so he was definitely a good offensive player. He was probably one of the most skilled, big-bodied forwards I've seen in my lifetime. But I agree with you. He's the Hall of Very Good, not the Hall of Fame. But the problem with the NHL Hall of Fame is, well, Hockey Hall of Fame, is that they just let borderline guys in. So then the next borderline guy can just point to that guy and say, well, if he's in, I should be in. Uh, but Nash, his career totals, 1,060 games, 437 goals, 750 assists. Uh, made it to the one Stanley Cup with the Rangers when, and that is that is probably my memory of Rick Nash is, Rangers are down three games to one in the Stanley Cup against LA, uh, they're in double overtime, Rangers if the Rangers score they send us it back to New York and hopefully win that this, go back to LA for a game seven, has the puck on his stick, little little hash wide open net quicks on the other side of the crease, tries to rip the one timer and I think it was Alec. Martinez just got a stick out and deflected the puck up out of play. And that was the, as close as the Rangers would come the rest of that game to uh, making a series three games at two. So I think, and I shared that on our Facebook page, but I think that's my going to be my lasting memory of Nasher in New York, just that laces out moment. Um, he also did win two gold medals, right? Yeah, I believe it was two. I, I think one thing that goes under the radar with him a little bit is actually how good he was with Team Canada. Like, his numbers at the Olympics and everything else were phenomenal. Granted, I understand it's Team Canada. Like, you, you go there you go there with the fucking dream team. It's hard not to put up points. But um, I want to touch on something you brought up with him, too. He was massive. Like, his wingspan was huge. Like, his stick handle and big body. Like, he was a massive individual, and he took up a lot of space. And... I think he was a powered forward in a different way. Like, some guys kind of mucked it up in the corners. And granted, he wasn't scared to be the first guy in on the four check. I don't want to tarnish him. But uh, he was a power forward in a different way, just, like, scoring goals. Like, he was just kind of yeah. a machine. Like, he, he could run a half wall, too. Not too many big guys can do that. Yeah, and he, once he started suffering some concussions with the Rangers, he started kind of backing away a little bit from uh, the front end net and, uh, going hard into corners, which I don't blame him at all, but that kind of limited his offensive ability. His last, I guess, like two, three years in New York, uh, he missed a lot of games. He, the most games played 
uh, starting in 2015 was 67. So he started getting injury prone. Uh, he scored 15, 23, and 18 uh, for the Rangers those three years. But yeah, he had his struggles in New York in the playoffs, and he got a lot of unfair criticism because of that. But maybe that's uh, what I'm saying, Bruxy. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm saying. <laughs> But uh, just what you said, the international play, uh, as a member of Team Canada, whether it's the World Cup, the Olympics, uh, 60 games played for Team Canada, 26 goals, 54 points. That's a pretty good stat line, I'd say. Yeah, so I think Cole very good. He dropped the ceremonial first puck uh, the LA9 at Columbus when the Rangers were in town, which was nice. He had his wife and his uh, two kids. So wish him all the best. He's a everybody says he's a great guy off the ice too. So hopefully he's able to have a long uh, normal life and get over to concussion issues. If there's anything besides that, he should have plenty of money to get him through. So all yeah, the think, best. I'm with you on that. Yeah. 7.8 over seven years. I think he was pretty much set after that deal. Um, the other thing that's kind of Nash related is the Rangers are starting to finally, finally embrace more of the rebuild because they're just cratering now. But they just called up Ryan Lindgren this afternoon uh, to play in the top six, and he was the basically the top prospect that the Bruins sent to New York and returned for Nash at the deadline last year. So we'll see how he handles being in NHL. Well, going from a goal scorer, should we talk about the nightmare that kind of evolved with the Columbus Blue Jackets this week in Sergei Bobrovsky, and one other question I have for you before we get into it is, with this happening now, do you see him re-signing there at all? Because now it's just like, this was like, light the dynamite, boom, like, it's gone. Yeah, I think, we talked about that before the season started with Columbus, with him and Panarin both being important pieces to that team who they were expecting to be Stanley Cup contenders, and I think they are in the East. Uh, but they're free agents, so the Blue Jackets, if they can't sign a long-term, do they trade them even if they're in a playoff hunt, or do they just ride it out and see if they can win the Cup and then let them go in free agency? Um, it sounds like Panarin was already gone. Uh, he wants to go to a bigger market. It sounds like he wants to play in New York or Florida, which, good luck in Miami, man, but uh, he sounded like he was gone from the get-go. But Roski, they thought they could keep, but... I, it sounds like they're both on their way out. I don't know what happened. Uh, I know he, they had a meeting on a tarmac, essentially, but I don't, I've never heard of specifics that came out of what the problem was with him and Tortorella. Yeah, it was pretty silent. They actually they didn't say if it was him and Tortorella. It kind of seemed like uh, Yarmo Kikalainen there, the GM, came down and said this was an issue that was detrimental to our hockey club, and that's why he's currently suspended. I thought Tortorella did a pretty good job at the press conference that morning as to people were trying to get more information, and he's kind of like, you know, my job is to coach this hockey club. And they kept going about that, and he was just like, I'm I'm here for the hockey club. So I know, granted, that's a normal coaching response that he's there for the hockey club. But with that being said, do you see any little underline there as to, like, he's there for the hockey club, maybe – you know, Bobrovsky isn't. Yeah, it sounds well. First of all, it sounds like uh, Marshawn Lynch. He's here, so he doesn't get fined. But yeah, that's kind of what he was. I took it as too, like hinting at, um, I'm here for the guys that are here. 
kind of what Jamie Ben said against Dallas. Like, I'm here for the hockey club. I'm here for the guys that are part of the hockey club. And he isn't right now. He's suspended. And you would think for your franchise goalie would kind of go to bat form a little bit more if there was a long-term marriage in the works. But uh, I'm sure they'll get over it because they're both professionals. Uh, well, all three of them, including the GM, are professionals. I Do you think they would move him at the deadline, considering they're right in the thick of it in the Eastern Conference and hope uh, that they can get by? I don't know. The only reason why I don't know is because I think teams would be a little reluctant to get him unless they knew that they'd be able to give him an extension right away. Because, I mean, he's currently 7.425, which I think for him is, I think that's a decent price. The only problem right now, he's 30 and then he goes unrestricted. So if you're a new club and you're trying to lock him up for a long-term deal, seven years, man, like, are, are you really going to go seven years? Like, that that's a long time with a goalie. And another thing, I, I don't want to put it on him because he's Russian, but, I mean, they kind of seem like a different breed a little bit in the sense of they want their money, they want to flaunt it a little bit. And I, I can't blame GMs for being reluctant, but if he could give you what he wants, like, you know, like, if you can get a very determined Russian guy, like Panarin's going to be wherever he signs, I think he's going to be a killer. You know, so it's like, I think that's one of the hardest things. He does have a no movement clause, though. So at the same time, I wonder if he'll just be a dick and stay suspended the whole year and say, no, I'm not playing. Well, he actually, he came back last night uh, for the Blue Jackets, of course, just in time to play the Rangers. Uh, the Rangers shot five on him, but we gave up seven. Uh, so he is already back. He got the win last night. That, that's I probably just, because Torts put money on the board. That's why he came back to play, and now he's going to go. <laughs> well, and then after the game, Tortorella said that tonight was a cluster fun because they, there was 12, uh, yeah, 12 goals scored, but we won, so it doesn't really matter, which completely shook me because if the Rangers won 7-5, he would still make them do wind sprints at the end of the game in their full gear. The fact that he called it a cluster fun, I think Tortorella just dropped like two notches on my coach's list. <laughs> but yeah, that's going to be interesting. The deadline's coming up soon. If he's put on a block, I'm not quite sure if there are actual legitimate playoff or Stanley Cup contenders that have a hole in net that would make a move for a rental, you know? Pittsburgh. You think they would uh, move on from Murray a little bit? I don't know if they would move on, but I feel like with his concussions, he's been a little shaky. I know, granted, they just gave uh, their backup there, Casey DeSmith, an extension. But depending on what the price is and if Columbus was willing to part ways, I think Jimmy Rutherford would do that in the sense of it, it seemed like every year, every time they went into the playoffs, Flower would get hurt and then Murray would come in or it would be vice versa. Like that was how Murray won the job. So. I think that's one of those things that may just be in the back of Rutherford's head. Yeah, I don't know if Columbus would do that, though, because they're, they're probably going to end up playing Pittsburgh in the first round of the playoffs. Boston, maybe? You know, with Tuca, if he keeps, if he doesn't tr- start really turning around for him? I have to give it out there. Tuca has been good. One Saturday night in Toronto. Okay. Uh, Tuca's last five games, you ask? 1.4 <laughs> goals against. 955 save percentage, 5 and 0. On fire. And we're playing the Canadian's night at 7:30. We're going to get opened up a can of whoop ass. 
Canadian, uh, we'll get into the playoff picture in a little bit, but they're still they're chugging along there, battling for a wild card spot. But yeah, I found Columbus. I, if I'm putting him on a block, and I know I can't keep him for the rest of the year because it's gonna fuck up uh, the locker room. I would have to move him to a Western Conference team, and for the teams out west, Vegas has Flurry, Calgary, maybe. I don't know. They, that move. They, they got Smitty though too, so I don't know. You don't want to really ruffle his feathers because I think they got him locked up. <laughs> You're beat the shit out of. Oh uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, he's, he's Smitty's a little wild card. Um. Maybe Colorado, I mean, because they've always had a little bit of question marks in that. They got, what is it, Varlamov there? So yeah, I and think, they have Grubauer, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's an instant upgrade for them. I know Minnesota has Dubnik. I like Dubnik. I know they've locked him up for a while, too. Um, yeah, you look at the other teams. Nashville's all set with Pekka. Winnipeg's all set with Hellebuck. So, yeah, I think maybe Colorado might be a way to go. Okay. Yeah, I... I don't see both of them in Columbus, which sucks because Tortorella's arrival coincided with Columbus really taking off as a franchise and becoming legitimate in that market in Ohio. And if they lose Panarin and then they lose Bobrovsky and they don't adequately replace them, uh, I don't know how much longer Columbus would be considered like a legit contender in the Metro division. Well, we'll see July 1st as to the turnaround because if they both sign somewhere else, they're in some deep shit there. Yeah. Um. No, well, I guess we just talked about it. Should we touch on it now? The uh, the updated playoff picture as to what it's looking like right now. Yeah, and actually, before that, uh, Josh Georges announced his retirement today for NHL as well. And I wanted to mention him. He did have a pretty lengthy career for a bottom pairing defenseman. Uh, Thirteen seasons. When it comes to somebody like him versus Nash, like you have superstar players or like skill level players that retire whether it's uh to injury or you know just old age or whatever but guys like georgia's like he announced his retirement in nhl no offense he played 13 seasons in the league that's 13 more than i will obviously ever do but he didn't retire from nhl nhl retired from him yeah that's a valid point i mean there was one point, though, that if you wanted Josh Georges on your team, it was going to cost you a second or a third round pick. Yeah. But no, I'm with true. you, though. Like, the NHL definitely adapted. It's a lot faster. And if you can't keep up now, you're screwed. That's that's just the ultimate. Like, it, the game's too fast. You can't be caught flat footed. And a lot of it isn't guys' fault. It's like, you get older, it's not going to work like it did when you were 21. But. Well, which, which part are we talking about here? Uh,. <laughs> that's a variable you can insert whatever you'd like in that spot but no i i just think that's one of those things where a, a steady defenseman like him where he wasn't he would jump into plays he would move pucks a little bit but he wasn't a who do you want to throw there he wasn't a mcavoy he wasn't a tory krug like he was a guy who could get the job done and was steady defensively which would cost you i guess i don't know yeah, I remember him from the years dropping the gloves in those Bruins-Canadians rivalries. Oh, my God. Patrice Bergeron dropped him with a left. I like. I had the biggest Woody watching that. Like First fight <laughs> Bergie's ever been in, and out of nowhere, he goes southpaw and launches like an MMA like forearm right on the jaw. Like, bam, out, just drop him. Phenomenal. Was he the one that dropped Krejci in that brawl game when Thomas fought Price? Oh, no, that was Benny Pouliot, right? Yeah, that was Pouliot when they got okay. into the fight, yeah. All right. But anyway, we can keep it with Montreal a little bit here. Uh, just kind of checking in on a playoff picture. Start out east. 
Um, same three teams uh, in their divisional spots in the Metro and the Atlantic Division. Washington, Columbus, and Pittsburgh in the Metro look pretty solid for finishing one, two, and three. In the Atlantic, you have Tampa, Toronto, Boston. Uh, so all six of those were pretty much what everybody assumed it would be before the season started. Boston's really turned it around. They're only two points behind Toronto, and they own that ass up there in Toronto, by the way. That's right. Um, so they're catching up, battling for home ice for the first round. Same thing with Columbus and Pittsburgh. The wild card's interesting because it's basically down to uh, like three or four teams for the last two spots. You have the Islanders, who have the best goal differential out of the contenders, plus 17. I don't know how they're doing it, but whatever. Um, and then you have Montreal currently in a second wild card spot. Uh, they're only one point up on Buffalo. And then behind Buffalo, three points is the Hurricanes, who are on a two-game win streak. They've won seven out of ten. So maybe they're starting to play like the team everybody expected them to. So that's second wild card spots there for the taking. Who do you think is going to finish out in a wild card? I don't know. I think that last spot's tough. I think the Islanders definitely have it, like that number one. Uh, yeah, I think Montreal's been playing pretty good. Buffalo's skidded a little bit as of late. Uh, three, six, and one in their last ten on a two-game losing streak. And... Obviously, we know when they were rolling, it wasn't going to last like that forever. But at the same time, I'm hoping it's not like a complete hit of the brakes. Like, I want a really exciting playoff race at the end. Like, I want it to be in it. Um, Buffalo just on the outside. Carolina, I mean, they've been going bowling on a two-game win streak, 7-3-0 and in their last 10. So, I mean, they maybe they're finally starting to figure it out. The boys are having a fun time down there. But, uh... Outside of that, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, your Rangers, I don't think they're there. Um, no. But, yeah, that that should be an inter- interesting race coming up with uh, that bottom two spots there. Yeah, Carolina just beat Nashville in Nashville 6-3, and Ojo had a hat trick. I think the most disappointing team for me in the Eastern Conference is Florida. You know, I had them as a pick to battle Toronto for their third spot in the Atlantic Division, but most likely settle for the top wildcard uh, position. They are 11 points out of the playoffs, 15 regulation uh, wins. They have a negative 22 goal differential. Just, I was thinking that they might fire. Uh, it's Bob Bugner down there in Florida, right? Yeah, it's Bugner. Yeah, yeah, and bring in uh, Joel Quinville because he has that relationship with Talon. That ship has sailed. Even if they bring in Quinville now, he won't be able to turn around for this season. So that's the team I would look out for at the deadline because they have a lot of talent on that roster um, and potentially coaching change. So uh, disappointing for them. Rangers, yeah, we can scratch them off. Uh, Western Conference, uh, quick look at the Central and Pacific. We have Winnipeg, Nashville, and Dallas is still holding on to that third spot in the Central. They've lost the last two. They lost to St. Louis, which kind of screwed me in my lock of the week. Um <laughs> surprising there because that third spot in the central has been kind of going back and forth all year between Dallas, Minnesota, and Colorado. It looked like Colorado had that locked up for a while, but they've lost nine of 10. Um, so they're really struggling in the Pacific division. We have Calgary still in first place. Uh, most points in a Western conference is the Calgary flames, uh, followed by San Jose and Vegas. So nothing really surprising there. I had Calgary as like a surprise team for this season. Uh, 
San Jose, six in a row, heading into the All-Star break. Carlson, ever since he got back from his suspension, I think he has like 14 points in six games, so yeah, he's, he's playing a little fun. angry. Uh, but yeah, down to the last two wildcard spots. Right now, both are held by Central Division teams, Colorado and Minnesota. Anaheim has lost 11 in a row. Uh, so they're, what's insane is they've lost 11 in a row, and they're still basically tied and one point out of the top all-card spot. That's how atrocious that's, the West is. That's an absolute joke. Like, So the the Central has currently five teams in it. The Pacific has the three because they, they have the three. And then, yeah, Anaheim's there at 47 points. One, Well, actually, they're tied with Minnesota for points, but they're just on the outside. And it's like, how bad is it out there? Like, that's <laughs> awful. And then they come out, and the Ducks said... Uh, whether it's the kiss of death or not, they're not considering firing Carlisle after this 11-game skid. They're sticking with Carlisle. I mean, that's another team, too, that has a whole bunch of talent on the roster. I know some of the guys are getting older, but, like, fuck, that's... <laughs> Kessler has, like, six points this year, and he's still signed for, I think, $7 million for the next two years. So that's going to be a real expensive buyout out there in SoCal. So... Just before I reset here a little bit, just a quick rundown for everybody. Here's the teams that are still in striking distance of a wild card spot in the Western Conference. Anaheim, which has lost 11 in a row and they have a negative 28 goal differential. Vancouver, negative 12. Edmonton, negative 18. Arizona, somehow, negative 14. St. Louis is only five points out. The Blackhawks are only six points out, and they have negative 13 and negative 34 goal differential, respectively. Could you imagine if Chicago sneaks in? Dude, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, like, six it, points out, they have... Well, Minnesota has a couple games in hand, but you never know, right? No, you never know. And, I mean, they got Taves and Kane. There's always a chance with those two. I mean, 4-3-3 three, and three in their last 10. But, yeah, dude, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they could sneak in. I mean, six points, that's three games. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so just resetting a little bit, maybe get your point of view on if the playoffs started today, those famous lines. Uh, first round matchups out in the East, it'd be Washington versus Montreal. Uh, Tampa Bay versus, no, actually it'd be Tampa Bay versus Montreal. Washington versus the Islanders, Columbus versus Pittsburgh, and Toronto versus Boston. Any, which matchup stands out to you the most? I don't want to be a homer or whatever, but the Boston-Toronto playoff series lately, they've been phenomenal. Usually all seven games, all battles, a whole bunch of messages being sent. Bergeron I, scores! Yeah. Bergeron! <laughs> Bergeron! But, um, no, I just think like their playoff battles lately have been great, so I think that would be one that would stick out. I think another one, too, like we talked about earlier with Columbus, would be Columbus and Pittsburgh. Um kind of firepower with firepower there as to can Bobrovsky get past Pittsburgh. I, I think that'd be huge seeing if they can get past Sid and Gino. And Dubinsky and Tortorella playing those uh, two superstars over in the other room and Sid and uh, Malkin again. I, uh, I love when Dubinsky goes at him, though, for the record. He completely <laughs> ruins them, which is phenomenal. That's what I loved about Dubin in New York. He fought Ovechkin, too, at center rise of the Garden, which is great. Um, Western Conference first round matchups again if the playoffs started today you would have Calgary versus Minnesota Winnipeg versus the Avalanche, Nashville versus Dallas and San Jose versus uh, Vegas 
I'd have to go San Jose Vegas. I think that would yeah. be good. Uh, Vegas was a little slow at the start. Um, I know Schmidt was out for the suspension, but it seems like lately they've kind of turned it on eight one and one in their last ten. So that's uh, pretty good this time of the year. But at the same time, Calgary and San Jose are eight one and one in their last ten too. So yeah, <laughs> and that's without Smith. They're playing like their third string goalie at this point, who's played well, but you can't expect that to last for a deep playoff run. So their line's going to be interesting for them. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Um, obviously, like we said, that's only if it started today, but just something to look at. Uh, going from the playoffs, let's go to we, – we got a big game coming up here next week, kid. We got the uh, the All-Star game. <laughs> yeah, out here in San Jose, which I will be making that check for. Maybe do a remote podcast from outside the SAP Center uh, from my cell phone or something. Coming really great with the audio. Uh, but the last man, uh, last vote – or the All-Star game, uh, the winners were announced. So for the Atlantic Division, Jeff Skinner was uh, voted in, Gabrielle Angus-Kong in the Central, Chris Letang for the Metro, and Leon Drysaddle for the Pacific. All deserving, one that shouldn't have been in uh, over the other. Like, what are your feelings on those guys? I like Letang. Um, I don't know, this is what it is. Jeff Skinner definitely deserved it. Uh, he's had a hell of a year this year. He's definitely scoring a lot of goals for him. He's definitely going to be a guy. Um, we're going to have to do a trade deadline one, like a midweek when it yeah. happens. But um, he's going to be a huge name as to whether he stays or goes up in Buffalo there because I don't know if they want to pay him long-term or however it's going to work. Um, but, yeah, I think that was definitely deserving. I like Chris Letang. I don't know how other people feel about him. I know he's kind of a rat a little bit. But uh, every year he seems to be a great player for Pittsburgh and seems to give them real stability on that back end. So good for him for making it. Going to the Central, Aho deserves being in there, but we weren't talking about Aho. We were talking about uh, Landis Cog. I read the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> do you think? Hmm, do you think all of them should be in? McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landis Cog. Like I feel like there should have been a little bit more parity. Uh, I mean, they're basically the best line in hockey, and they're all putting up sixty plus points or whatever. So I don't have a problem with them making it in. I just didn't think Landis Kong should have been not part of the initial roster, in my view. So you want to go back. Elena. So, so we want to go back to, like, the best players on the All-Star. doesn't matter if a team has one in or not. That, that, yeah. That's the way it should be, and I'm with you 100%. It's kind of embarrassing because, again, bringing it back to the Rangers, Lundqvist made it, which is deserving. You look at his numbers, it doesn't look... Uh, all-star worthy, but he's playing behind basically a, a fucking dumpster fire. But the embarrassing part is our last vote-in representative was Matt Zuccarello, who has like five goals in a year and missed three weeks for a groin injury, and he was our second best guy to be no- best guy to be nominated for that vote, which tells you all you need to know. Well, I just find it crazy too, like like we've just talked about. That just goes off of a previous name. Like, you know, yeah. the Jonathan Taves, the Patrick Kane, like, that's just the name that people know as opposed to players that are playing this year. So Yeah, I'm surprised Hazy wasn't put up for the Rangers. I'm very surprised about that, too. But, you know, they can only take one. So, yeah, I don't yes. know. For the Pacific, I, Dreisaitl, he's having a good year. Giordano is up there. He's probably going to be a contender for the Norris Trophy this year in Calgary. I'm surprised he didn't get the nod. Yeah, I, I don't like the way the NHL wants 
the quote-unquote fan vote, the last man in and shit like that. Um, Patrice Bergeron just came out because they were he was one of the guys that people were pushing for, and he's like, I have a one-month-old at home. Like, I want to go home and spend time with my kid. Like, usually guys, this time of the year, they go on vacation with the wife or the girlfriend. He's like, it's a long season. Like, I want to go home and spend time with my kid. Like, is that too much to ask for? Like, I don't want to have to pack up it the is. kids. You're a professional. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to pack them up and fly cross-country. I want to stay here in my house with my family. That's it. Nothing crazy. I mean, yeah. too too hard to ask for? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it should be a good game. Uh, I'll be going to the FanFest, too. I'll try and post some photos from there on our Facebook page, photo with the cup, and I won't touch it since Rangers will never win it in my lifetime, uh, a couple other things, so it should be a fun time. You touch that thing. You, you indulge it, and you touch it. <laughs> That's as close as I'll ever get. <laughs> um, I guess we're getting towards the end of it. Should we... Uh... Do you, do you want to go Bruins Rangers? You just want to go lock history? What do you want to do? Do you have anything interesting about the bees besides you know just stomping Toronto once again and you know being a playoff legitimate Stanley Cup contender for like the 80th year in a row with Bergeron and Chara, or is that too boring for me? No, that's too boring for you. I just uh, I just wanted to drop that Tukaras stat earlier. That was all I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean I kind of touched on the Rangers a little bit. They've lost. Five of six, nine of twelve, uh, nine of eleven, uh, just really falling apart. The problem, and this was my biggest fear entering the year, their veterans that they kept after last year's deadline aren't good enough. Yet their young guys aren't ready for the show to be like taking on major roles for the team like Heedle and stuff. So we're kind of in that purgatory of being in between both facets of building an organization so it's been a pretty terrible run for rangers lately and on to brighter news our game of the week or lock of the week uh of course i'm biased game of the week tonight bruins canadians 7 30 be there be square i know ben expected that so i have a couple others uh tomorrow night tuesday january 15th Washington at Nashville. Nashville's been on a little bit of a skid, but they got a good team coming in to see if they can pick it back up. Uh, Vegas at Winnipeg, same night tomorrow. I think that's probably going to be a uh, a very good game. And also on Tuesday night, Pittsburgh at San Jose. So I think those are three games all in one night. If, if you got the package, watch it. You know, flip through the channels. All good. Um, I hate to be a homer. I'm going to do it. Going for the lock. Wednesday, Boston at Philadelphia. Pencil it in the book. Bees are winning. Yeah, I mean, uh, I updated the standings on our Facebook page. After last week, you're 6-5, and five, so game over 500. Uh, I dropped a 4-7 and seven because the Stars screwed me against the Blues, so I was hoping to creep even more closer to the 500 spot, but not happening yet. Uh, for me, the game of the week is going to be on uh, Tuesday, so tomorrow, it's going to be Vegas on the road against the Winnipeg Jets, uh, both legitimate Western Conference powerhouses, which is still incredible to say for a second-year franchise out there in Vegas. I think that one's going to be a good one. Uh, I also was looking at that Pittsburgh-San Jose game. I was thinking about buying a ticket and going down to San Jose and chirping at Crosby and hoping to get a stick, but we'll see about that. <laughs> um 
my lock of the week, and Kevin, you know how much this is going to pain me. And everybody out there, if you haven't picked up yet how much this is going to pain me, you will now. Lock of the week, Saturday, January 19th, TD Garden, Bruins Rangers, Bruins lock of the week. I didn't want to touch it, so I, I was staying. <laughs> I was staying away from it. I mean, that that was you. I didn't bring it up. Fleet uh, in the fifth. Uh, we have any history today? Uh, we do have some history for Monday, January fourteenth. Uh, going pretty recent with the first little tidbit. Joel Quenneville, who is currently unemployed, he passed Al Arbor to become the second winningest NHL coach when the Blackhawks beat the Canadians two to one. It was his 700th, 783rd victory, a uh, regular season victory for Quenneville. Uh, second little tidbit, for the first time in NHL, brothers on the same team score four goals in the same game. This goes all the way back to 1922. So everybody knows Spray Clayhorn and his brother Odie Clayhorn. He scored four goals in a Canadian's 10-6 win against the Hamilton Tigers. Last but not least because I need to get something positive in for the freaking Rangers. 1936, Rangers coach Lester Patrick reached an initial milestone in a 2-1 win against the Montreal Maroons. The Rangers became the fifth team of 200, 200 regular season wins. And Patrick, New York's coach since we came into the league in 1926, became the first coach with 200 wins. All right, on to the drum roll, please. Who we got for shout-outs? You know, I'm going to give a shout-out. This is going to surprise you, Kev. I'm going to give a shout-out to the First Lady. You know, still doing her thing, developing that portfolio. and she. I saw that. The Wangstress. Yeah, the Wangstress. Who, what Wang? Follow that on Instagram, yo. She's going to be posting some of her portfolio samples from there for uh, her fashion styling. So if you're interested in that, I know we have some lovely ladies that listen to the podcast, too. Uh, second shout-out, and I know this was a topic in the show, but I'm just going to give a shout out to Rick Nash. You know, the Rangers for most of my childhood that I was cognizant of what was going on were terrible. And then once Tom Rennie came aboard and then Tortorella took over, kind of coincided with Nash's arrival in New York and Lundquist where the Rangers were legitimate Stanley Cup contenders for a five-year window there. Uh, never got in trouble off the ice, never caused any problems, was the rare superstar in New York that can put his head down and just do his job. Had some troubles in the playoffs, but uh, that trade worked out pretty damn well for us. So giving him a shout-out as he enters retirement. Do you think the First Lady would be able to, like, dress me up nice? Like, if I come over in a suit, she can, like, you know, pick some nice colors for me, bring my eyes out, or what? Uh, yeah, she can She can help you out, man. Can, can, she, should, can she do light her up. Can she do lipo to make me look better in the suit? <laughs> well, I see, the thing is, she can't work miracles. That's the problem. Damn it. I, I I was praying, pal. She can give you some colors that kind of like narrow that out a little bit, but Yeah, do, do I go stripes or uh I don't <laughs> even know what it is. Avoid vertical. <laughs> yeah. Um shout outs this week. I gotta give one a big red. I I know it's not the weekly shout out, but uh I, I had a tough day and a half with the kids. They beat me up a little bit. I get home last night, I put them to bed, I passed out. I wake up this morning, the house is spotless, everything's put away. So that was a uh, a really nice comfort for the anxiety there because I thought I was going to have to wake up and clean stuff up before work. So Or get beat because or, you didn't. Or get beat, yeah. But uh, no, definitely the little thing. So big shout out there. 
another big shout out. One of our listeners had to uh, remind me. He was very looking forward to this. Uh, Senor Stratford uh, shooting me the uh, text message this morning. UMass Hockey, number one in the college rankings. It's been a while. They've had a great year. They've definitely brought in a lot of prospects in there. The That Kale Makar is definitely going to uh, be really good on the show whenever he gets there. That Greg Carvel came in and definitely turned the program around. And rather quickly, too. Within two years, he's definitely put his stamp on it. Um, maybe we'll try to get him on the show one day just to see, like, him going from ECAC in St. Lawrence and then going to Hockey East at UMass. Like, I wonder how that is for him, like, scouting wise and recruitment wise like if there's more people that want to go to a hockey East school as opposed to you know the ecac i know travel and hockey east is phenomenal most of the stuff's really close it's all bus rides outside of vermont and maine so i don't know i think that'd be cool for a, a future take definitely to look look at yeah and he probably has a lot more on his plate when it comes to being a coach for a school like umass when it comes to alumni relations and things like that than he had previously yeah, I mean, it must be tough getting Jonathan Quick at the golf tournament. So <laughs> I, I hear you. Uh, anything else, Benny? Uh, I think that's it on my end. Uh, like I, we kind of touched on next weekend is the uh, next weekend. This coming weekend is the All-Star game, isn't it? Or am I just that sick where I have uh, my weeks messed uh, up? Next Saturday. Oh, okay, so yeah, don't mind me. I'm recovering from a, a bender flu, so... Yeah. Getting over that a little bit. Benny's but, yeah. allegedly ill, but it's just his liver donkey punching him. <laughs> it, see, in my old age, it takes a little bit longer to get over a, a bender than it used to. Understandable. Well, um, everybody, as always, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, we will give you guys another jam-packed episode next week. This outro song, I'm not saying who it's to because this is how I'll know if this person listens to the show or not because they'll, they'll shout me a big, huge, I love you, and I remember dancing with you nude to it in high school days. But um, everybody, all the best. Love, peace, and hair grease. We'll catch you next week. I feel like I want to be inside of you when the sun goes down as long as I'm going to be around you. When the sun goes down, yeah.